Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality, sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chinookie. We acknowledge the Satuna, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. All right, Adam, thank you for coming. Welcome. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's a pleasure to be asked. So, uh, and, and I have to admit that um, I was rather nervous about doing this mm. because I've only ever um, done a speaker meeting where I shared my story once before. Oh, okay. <clears throat> and this, this was year, years ago. And it was like... God, I'm boring myself. <laughs> and, and, and so, because because I because I know the story. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, uh, but remember, we don't. Well, well, I know, and we and, love surprises. And you know, the thing is that uh, uh, having listened to some of your episodes on online, I'm going. You got some really good guests there. <laughs> some really good stories I know. and really powerful mm-hmm. messages. And what one of the things that um, uh, I've always felt about my story is a little bit of imposter syndrome mm. because um, my drinking career wasn't that that long. Mm-hmm. And whenever I went to a speaker meeting or, you know, listened to somebody's story mm-hmm. and they've got <laughs> really good stories, uh, okay, you know, I'm, I'm afraid people are going to think, okay, I didn't have that long of a drinking mm-hmm. career, therefore, you know, I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not qualified. Oh, I think, I think... Uh, well, I know I've gotten to know you a little bit. Yeah. I, I know you're qualified. Yeah. And I know that if there's people out there that think those that way, yeah. it's more most likely because they just don't understand. Right. Right? The way the illness yeah. works. Yeah. And I think that's part of why I really appreciate being able to share all stories because I find all stories fascinating. Yeah. I, I have to be honest. I just do. And I found so far, even just a little bit that I've heard of yours, super fascinating. <laughs> so as much as you might be bored, yeah. I guarantee I will not be bored. Yeah. Yeah. So if I get giddy and start chatting too much like oh. I am right now, 
No, you're, you're good. But um, if it happens, Darcy will come in and warn me, tell me not to chat so much. <laughs> well, that's, that's the beauty of editing, I that's guess. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, because my, my drinking career was only like about five and a half years. Mm -hmm. So I've been sober uh, almost seven times as long mm -hmm. as I drank. Mm -hmm. But what happened in that five and a half years, right? That... Well, that's the reason why yeah. I feel qualified and yeah. I'm really comfortable uh, ever since day one, mm -hmm. uh, walking into the uh, rehab center, um, well, saying, I, saying I I'm say, an alcoholic. Yeah, right? and I, I, I can appreciate that because if, if our illness escalates in five and a half years, which yeah. we both know that it's progressive, yeah. and in that, it, it doesn't take 30 years for everybody. Oh. Right? Like, yeah. it just doesn't. And yeah. I mean, it didn't take me 30 years. I yeah. only drank for about 16 years. Well, right? Yeah. And I've been sober now longer than that. But it, the point is, is that it just took me that long. Yeah. That's what, that's what time it took. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah, because I've always said I'm, I'm kind of an all or nothing guy. Mm. You know, I'm all in for things that I really like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and when it's time to stop, <laughs> okay, it's, I know I have to stop. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, um, and thank thankfully it only took you five and a half years. Yeah, but in that uh, within that five and a half years, it was really the last year and a half to two years where it really went down the fast. Where I, mm -hmm. I almost killed myself a couple of times mm -hmm. um, uh, because of drinking, and um, not by suicide, just by yeah. you know drinking and driving and mm -hmm. fa falling asleep. I had a habit of falling asleep behind the wheel mm -hmm. um, when I was drunk. And most people don't survive that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I was, I was, um, I knew, okay, it's, mm -hmm. you gotta got do something, so. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, so, like, like I say, uh, I, for those, some of those reasons, you know, just because of the shortness of my drinking career and all that sort of stuff, uh, you know, I, I've always kind of shied away from talking about, you know, a lot of stuff in the past. Um, but so I, I'm, I'm not sure where you want me to start or wherever you feel comfortable. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think like, and again, I we can say it over and over again because it's true. Um, as long as it takes is what it takes. Yeah. Right. It, it's um, thankfully, thankfully, I didn't have to suffer any longer than I did either. Yeah. Right. Or other people didn't have to. Thankfully, people can stop when they're teenagers. Right. Yeah. And those things happen just because their escalation was instant almost. Right. Yeah. And I think that's another thing that lots of folks um, maybe just don't understand is that this illness, it, as similar as it may be amongst us, it also can act very differently in us. In each right. of us, right? Yeah. Depending on where we're from, uh, what our upbringing was, like what our culture is, what our whatever, all those factors that go into a person, yeah. and and it can escalate things rather quickly. So yeah. honestly, wherever you would like to start, I yeah. we I'd be happy to listen. So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> well, I'll, I'll just give a real quick background to um, uh, my childhood and mm -hmm. stuff. Um, uh, I was born in Medicine Hat. Um, 
uh, lived there for six years. Uh, my um, uh, father and uh, mother divorced uh, or separated within that period of time. Um, he was uh, um, a really violent alcoholic. Um, and I have <clears throat> memories of um, uh, him after um, uh, my mother separated from him when I was quite young. Um, he would bring his girlfriends home to introduce them to mom and us kids. Or um, he would break into our house and drag mom out of bed and beat her up and all that sort of stuff. So, mm -hmm. so I, that was my uh, initial memories of, mm -hmm. you know, introduction to an active alcoholic. Mm -hmm. um, but because I, I never really knew him, when we moved, uh, we moved to um, outside of Vancouver um, uh, when I was six, and that's where I basically grew up. Uh, in my mind, I always wanted to, I really wanted to know my father. Um, and it was always, um, you know, chasing after what I thought I wanted to know about him. Um, and, um, you know what they say, be careful what you wish for because you just may get it. And yeah. I eventually did um, have an opportunity to, um, when I was uh, about um, uh, Fifteen to live with him for a year, and and his wife and um, he was by that time sober and very active in AA in in um, uh, Kelowna, mm -hmm. and uh, so I was introduced to the whole idea of AA through my real father, um, and actually had an opportunity to give him you know I think. It, when he celebrated 25 years, I gave him his 25-year mm -hmm. chip and that sort of stuff. But what I found is, is he was just not a nice person. Mm -hmm. Just because, you know, and it taught me, just because you're an AA doesn't make you a nice person or somebody that you can yeah, trust or, that's for sure. <clears throat> you know, somebody that's going to uh, uh, be accepting of, of people. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, uh, and my, um, uh, some of my... Um, siblings um, really didn't appreciate my uh, my uh, relationship with my real father because I made no secrets about that I didn't like the person that he was mm -hmm. I didn't like how he used people for his own um, uh, gain mm -hmm. um, uh, how he manipulated people and um, uh, so just because he was sober didn't make him a good person. Mm -hmm. The one thing, you know, and, and just to finish that thought, the, the friction in between some of my siblings and myself around that was because when they're growing up with him, their memory of him is completely different than my memory mm -hmm. of him when I was growing up. It's like you and I could know the same person mm -hmm. and you're... You and witness the same thing, but your viewpoint of that same event with that person could be completely different than mm -hmm. mine, just because of relationship and that sort of stuff. So, um, 
But the one thing that uh, I, I have to say that uh, with my mother remarrying my, and my stepfather, my relationship with my stepfather, I was just part of the package. He loved my mother. Uh, he wanted to marry my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the kids were just part of the package. So I, I was tolerated. So I never really had a close relationship with my stepfather or my real father. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that <clears throat> um, I really learned over the years as I was growing up, and even to this day, is that um, if I ever find myself acting or thinking the same way as my real father or my stepfather, I know I'm going down the wrong path. So I use that negative um, influence that an example that they mm-hmm. showed me I flipped that around to say okay what's the opposite of that mm-hmm. you know rather than using people how can I contribute to people mm-hmm. how can I actually serve or be of service to people mm-hmm. um, and rather than inflicting pain and you know um, frustrations on people mm-hmm. how can I make them laugh because I'd love to make people laugh I still do um, but um, because of my relationships with them and uh, growing up uh, uh, with uh, being seen and not heard, mm-hmm. um, I, had, I couldn't talk to people. Uh, I was 18 years old and I couldn't, um, I couldn't sit down and have a conversation like you and I are having a conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I could say, hi, how are you? Uh, especially to uh, a man or mm-hmm. an o- older man particularly because... Uh, I didn't know how to relate to them. People my own age, I couldn't relate to because we weren't really allowed to associate with, with kids because mom being uh, divorced back in the 60s mm-hmm. uh, was taboo. One of the first things I was told when I was six years old going to uh, elementary school out on the coast was you can't tell people that we're separated. Mm-hmm. So. I had to keep a secret and mm-hmm. all that. So there was a lot of things in my childhood that you know prevented me from really being able to speak with people mm-hmm. and that sort of older women, married women, mm-hmm. I could talk to all of them. And they loved to tell, tell me their problems. Mm-hmm. So I learned to listen to people mm-hmm. when, I was, when I was younger and really understand their perspective of their realities, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so I always wanted to kind of fit in. Yes. So, um, and I kind of floundered <clears throat> when I was growing up and I got kicked out of school uh, in, uh, when I was um, uh, in grade 11. Uh, so, you know, I never graduated. You know, I just didn't like PE. Mm-hmm. I didn't like, yeah. I didn't like the sports and I didn't like the locker rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, was really self-conscious about my body and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. Um, and I was always, you know, uh, called out, you know, as being a fag, mm-hmm. you know, back, back in the 60s, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, was, it was not cool to be gay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and I, I, didn't, I didn't know mm-hmm. anything about that time, yeah. you know. So... Um, yeah, we, we still haven't come very far. Well, yeah. yeah. Farther than that, but... Yes, yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, 
So um, it wasn't until um, uh, you know uh, I was kind of bouncing around and that sort of stuff. Uh, uh, I was twenty years old and really didn't have any prospects. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, well, I think I need some discipline. So I joined the military, mm -hmm. which is pretty brave. Well, because the military was even worse back then. <laughs> oh, well, that's true. It was. It was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I I'd been in army cadets, uh, mm. you know, and uh, uh, I tried to join the military when I was seventeen, mm -hmm. but they wouldn't accept me because they said, "Go out and live life." You know, mm -hmm. you're too young. You need to get some experience. I said, "Okay, well, screw you, Magoo. Yeah, you, know, <laughs> you had you had your chance. I'm not mm -hmm. gonna." But you know with no other prospects and that sort of stuff. I just decided, okay, I'm going to give it another shot. And I was accepted. Um, and I spent my 20, 21st birthday in basic training in Cornwallis. And I kept it secret because I saw what they were doing with other people that were celebrating birthdays, mm. you know, um, getting blackballed and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I kept it pretty quiet. Um, so, I mean, all, all this time, even though Growing up, I had the occasion, or um, I had a couple beers when I was growing up, mm -hmm. but you know, I got drunk and I threw up, and that's just something I didn't like it. Yeah. Uh, and plus, the memories of my father and how he was when he was drunk. Mm -hmm. I I always said, you know, I'd never want to be like that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I just didn't. I didn't drink. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I, uh, my very first posting was uh, up on the Queen Charlotte Islands, which is now Haida Gwaii, mm. um, in Masset. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, uh, I was posted there in 1977, and uh, it, was, uh, it was towards the end of uh, <clears throat> my stay there. It was, I got a one-year extension, so I was there for, for two years. And um, I wanted to stay a, a longer, and they wouldn't let me. So I was going to be posted. Mm -hmm. But it was the, um, in uh, 1979, or 78, I guess, where, where um, I started to actually have one or two beers at the Junior Ranks Mess. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of my beginning of my... Yeah. drinking uh, but again I it wasn't excessive it was just occasionally mm -hmm. I got posted to Ottawa um, in 1979 and um, there was a lot of stuff happening w w with with me I, I, mm -hmm. um, I really thought I was going crazy and uh, uh, so I started to see it I wanted to see a doctor mm -hmm. get it so I got to see a shrink. It wasn't helping, so I said, you know, screw this. I'm not getting any better. I'm feeling worse. Mm -hmm. I was starting to drink more. Um, so I packed my bags and I went to work uh, one day. And um, I was supposed to have a, a session with the therapist. And uh, my boss said, so you've got a bag? And I said, yeah, I'm going to be admitted into uh NDMC, the Medical National Defense Medical Center. Um, oh, okay. So, anyways, I went to 
the sh uh, shrinks. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm not leaving here until you admit me. Mm -hmm. So I forced him to admit me. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, I was um, admitted. Um, and um, I was in there for a couple of weeks. And um, that's when I realized that uh, I think I'm gay. And of course, back then, it, it was illegal to be gay in the military. So, uh, coming to that realization, and you know, um, knowing that, because that, my my trade was administration. My part of my role was to do the paperwork on gays to kick them out of the military. Mm. And wow. I I had done that. Wow, so that must have been hard. It was scary. Absolutely scary. So um, I came to the realization, I talked to the nurse and said, you know, I think I'm, I understand what's happening. She said, okay, well, let's, let's get you in to see the, uh, the doctor tomorrow. So did, and he goes, well, you know what? It's the weekend, there's a gay bar, it's a couple blocks down. Why don't you go out and see what you think? Wow. I said, Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will do that. <laughs> I mean, I guess it is research, like direct research, yeah. I suppose. Well, I guess I was, I was really fortunate. And you see, this is the thing that I found, David, uh, throughout my story that um, uh, I really think my higher power was working to my advantage all through. Mm -hmm. I've always said I've, I lived a pretty privileged life, mm -hmm. uh, life uh, because... Uh, things that should have gone really badly really at the end turned out really well mm -hmm. because I had the only civilian psychiatrist in National Defense Medical Center. Mm -hmm. All the rest were military. Who, if I would have said that to them, I would have been kicked out. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, you know, it's not, it's not a mental illness like so many people thought. Mm -hmm. You know, I deal with this all the time. Go out and let's talk on Monday. Mm -hmm. So I came back and said, yeah, it's, um, mm -hmm. I think I'm gay. And he goes, okay, well, just go live your life and be happy. Mm -hmm. And so that, in my mind, gave me permission to be gay in the military, mm -hmm. even though it was, it was still illegal. Yeah. It was still illegal. So wow. when I would, on the weekends, I would go out to the gay bars in Ottawa mm -hmm. Um, all the other militaries would sneak around the back door, and I would, I would walk through the front door, and they go, "Are you crazy?" You know, the uh, SIU uh, the military police were mm -hmm. would scope out the front doors, and I said, "They know I'm gay. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to hide anything. I'm not going to flaunt it, but I'm not going to mm -hmm. deny it either." So that was my attitude, and so I'd walk through the front door, and I'd have a good time, mm -hmm. but then I started to realize, you know. I was, I guess back then, not a bad-looking guy. I had, mm -hmm. you know, like a twink body back then, unlike now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, more like a trunk as opposed to a twink. No, I'm a trunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, a, lot, a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of military guys and uh, other civilians mm -hmm. like, like to buy me drinks. Mm -hmm. um, so... <clears throat> Um, I, I just started to drink more mm -hmm. and I 
uh, uh, got together with some friends and had that word non-military um, and um, uh, it just kind of started to progress. Um, so um, I, 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 luckily I was really good at what I did so um, even though my bosses knew I was gay and they knew that I drank they never they never touched me on it mm -hmm. because I was really good at what I did mm -hmm. uh, and to the point where when it was time for me to leave Ottawa uh, they actually created a position in NATO headquarters in Norfolk Virginia for me to go down I'd be the only person only Canadian to ever fill that post I had to develop it mm -hmm. to turn it over to the US Navy okay so, uh, in uh, uh, the Supreme Allied Commander Atlantic uh, headquarters mm -hmm. so I got posted posted there and of course I was living in Virginia Beach Virginia mm. Beautiful beach on the ocean, mm -hmm. you know, beautiful boys. <laughs> I was going to say probably a area around there. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I'm, mind you, it was in the midst of the Bible Belt. Um, there. So, I, again, North America's a, a shit show. Oh, hey? I know. Like. I know. <laughs> I know. So uh, I uh, found a place five minutes away from the beach, uh, twenty miles away from. From work and um, uh, from 1982 um, onwards, it was just like Party Central. Mm -hmm. It was like the, the gay bars were really fun. Mm -hmm. I had a blast. I had a blast, um, and because I loved to dance, and uh, um, we'd go out and be hot, and they'd have hurricane parties. For mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever been to a hurricane party. Never. Uh, where they, um, it was the after hours bar, uh, bar so uh, was, you'd go there and uh, in the middle of, it, it wouldn't even open until like one or two in, in the morning mm -hmm. and stay up until five or six in the morning. So about three o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden they turned the sprinklers on. So you had all these half naked men mm -hmm. dancing around, half snapped. Getting wet. Getting wet. Uh, it sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah. It was great. Um, but it was just party and party and party and party. Um, um, and the people that I hung out with, that's, I mean, it would be nothing to, um, you know, on, on a Saturday, you know, meet at the beach. 10 o'clock in the morning, we had our section um, on the beach, and we'd have our thermoses full of full of drinks, have drinks on the beach, uh, go home uh, uh, half snapped, uh, go next door to my uh, neighbor's place, have uh, one or five martinis, <laughs> um, then he'd make dinner, and we'd have a one or two bottles of wine and some scotch afterwards, mm -hmm. maybe a couple of joints. Mm -hmm. And about uh, 9 o'clock or 9.30 at night, I'd go back next door, get dressed, and I'd drive 20 miles to to the gay bars and mm -hmm. party till 2 o'clock in the morning and drive home. 
and that was that was that was basically my life for a couple of years. And so you had to drive to the gay bars so that you weren't around the military folks. Yeah. 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 After those parties, and you went to your own party. Well, no, these were all gay. Oh, okay. I, I never associated okay. with any military. Oh, okay, right these, on. These were all. Gay. I can see why you wouldn't back yeah. then, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, uh, it got to, it got to the point where um, it, it was just almost nonstop mm -hmm. drinking, mm -hmm. and uh, I was I was in a relationship at, at the time, and uh, uh, it wasn't going particularly well, and um, so my mother and I would talk uh, every every week, and uh, uh, she she said there's something matter what, what what's the matter, and so I said you know I'm having a problem with my relationship mm -hmm. and uh, my mother just loved problem relationships mm -hmm. like with, with my sister she'd be in there like a dirty shirt but because it was my relationship with a guy mm -hmm. all of a sudden even though she knew that mm -hmm. I was gay <clears throat> I had taken her to a couple gay bars in Ottawa mm -hmm. after you know I was I came out of the psych mm -hmm. ward and all that sort of stuff so she knew the scene. Mm -hmm. She all of a sudden turned religious on me and mm -hmm. said, "I thought this was just a phase. Mm -hmm. I thought you were going to grow out of it, you know." Mm. And uh, devastating. Yeah. If, yeah. if that's if that's how you're going to be, you're going to burn in hell. Mm. And I said, "Are you kidding me? You know, all this time, you've known." Like I got out of, out of the psych ward. It was I went home for Christmas. Mm -hmm. You asked me what I told you that I was I was gay. Mm -hmm. You've known all this time, and now all of a sudden it's a problem. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is a problem. If that's the way you're going to be, you know, you're you're going to burn in hell, and um, you're not my son. And I said, if that's mm -hmm. if I can't have the same rights as my sisters. Then I don't want to be your son. Mm -hmm. So for four years we didn't speak. Wow. Or I would call her uh, on her birthday or mm -hmm. on a special occasion, but she'd start up again. So I just mm -hmm. said, you know what? Okay, that's it. So uh, that kind of set me off into a really drunken. Mm -hmm. That's devastating, yeah. Adam. It's yeah. devastating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because my mother and I were really close. Mm -hmm. um, like I was, I was her only son. Uh, I had five sisters. Uh, hand me downs were the shits. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> so, that would have been, yeah. been rough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it was, it was like all of a sudden <clears throat> uh, my whole world was upside down because I was having problems with my relationship. Mm -hmm. Now all of a sudden, you know, I'm disowned by my mother. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I wanted to jump on the plane and go out, and so that would have meant I would have been AWOL. Mm -hmm. You know, I called up, you know, my uh, uh, one of my officers, um, who was a Canadian in the Canadian military, um, and you know, I was just bawling my eyes out and just freaking out. And uh, he said, "So, what's the matter?" Well, I've just been disowned by my mother, mm -hmm. you know, I, I need to go see her, and I, he goes, well, you can't. Mm -hmm. 
So he said, okay, what's this all about? And I said, okay, well, I'll tell you, but you have to promise you cannot say anything to anybody. So I swore him to secrecy. And he was a, he was a captain in the army. So he said, okay, I promise. And I said, I'm gay. And she's condemning me. And, well, he turned from on my side to, he, he was ready, ready to have me kicked out. And I said, you promised me. As an officer, you promised me that you were not going to say anything. So he, he honored that promise. But um, it just, just my whole life just went downhill. Mm -hmm. So this, this was in 1984. Uh, about October, uh, I was out and um, uh, at a promotion party right after work uh, on the base, and we were drinking and that sort of stuff. And I was driving home, and I dozed off behind the wheel, uh, going down the freeway, mm -hmm. 80 miles an hour, and um, kind of woke up uh, long enough to s uh, see this parked big highway maintenance truck on the side of the road just before I smashed into it. Mm. Um, so ended up in hospital. Uh, my car was totaled. Lucky to uh, be alive. That's exactly what they said, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and that had been my second DUI. Mm. Uh, the first one was minor. I had a good lawyer that one of my friends hooked me up with, and he knew the judge, and it was kind of like a no-brainer. Mm -hmm. That i got to be honest, that scares me, right? It yeah. scares me that we do that. I mean, yeah. I know it happens all the time. But yeah. It's, yeah, it's pretty scary. It is. Yeah. I mean, at the time, it was like, okay, thank, thank God. Goodness, yeah. 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 But again, it was my higher power watching over me. Yeah. And, and um, you know, so there I was in the drunk tank. In. Um, uh, is it okay if he gets a picture? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. absolutely. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll get one after together. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Am I supposed to look at you? <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, smiling, laughing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Darcy. Thanks, Darcy. <laughs> Got my good side. <laughs> the whole side. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, but uh, uh, so I was uh, covered in blood in my mm. uniform and uh, in the drunk tank. Uh, my car was totaled. Um, and uh, oh, I thought, okay. I'm done. I'm done. Mm. And uh, I called up my next door neighbor who, you know, um, my drinking buddy, and uh, I said, Stoney, you know, I, I need some help. So anyways, he mm. came and bailed me out. And um, I said, I need, I need to get a vehicle, you know, so I can go to work, mm. you know. Um, had like ten dollars in my bank <laughs> mm -hmm. because I drank it all. <clears throat> um, so I was got hooked up with a vehicle and um, um, had a my uh, court date uh, set, and um, I said I'm just going to plead guilty mm -hmm. and volunteer for rehab, and hopefully not get mm -hmm. kicked out of the U.S. <clears throat> you know, um, kicked out of the military. Um, Very complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had, <clears throat> there was this uh, Navy commander, a Canadian, who was working in the uh, NATO headquarters there. 
who came to see me and he said, um, are you serious about getting sober? Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah, I, I need to because I mean, I'm going to die. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay, if you're serious, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to arrange something. Mm -hmm. So he went through the back channels with Ottawa to have me seconded to the rehab center as a posting. Wow. So it wouldn't be on my record. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And he's the right person. Yeah. And to this day, <clears throat> I can't prove it, but I'm sure he was in the program. Mm. Because he knew. Mm -hmm. I got that feeling when you as you're talking for sure. And um, so, you know, from the time I, I went to court, pled guilty, volunteered for rehab until the time I actually got in, it was a couple months, and I was on antabuse, and um, of course you're not supposed to drink on antabuse, mm -hmm. and of course I drank on antabuse. <laughs> End up I think everybody does the first, the first goal. <laughs> Oh, I mean, this was continuous. Like, I, mm -hmm. I, my drinking did not slow down just because I was on antibodies. Mm -hmm. I was going to follow the, the orders mm -hmm. to say, you're supposed to take it every day. I'll t I took it every day. Mm -hmm. But I had red blotches all over. I mean, oh. again, it was just, uh, I knew that this, this was it. Mm -hmm. And my uh, uh, partner at the time just said, Adam, you know, you've got to stop. And I um, I just remember snapping at him saying, you know, I will. When I, when I go to rehab, that's it. And so um, it was, uh, the day finally came, it was, uh, it was the 25th of February, 1985. Mm. I drove up to the uh, front of the rehab uh, on, on the Norfolk uh, Naval Base. Mm -hmm. And I looked, and it was a cold, dreary, cloudy, perfect day. Perfect day, and I, <laughs> and I was so hungover because, like that whole weekend mm -hmm. before, I was just obliterated. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just said, you know, when I walk through that door, that's my opportunity. Mm -hmm. And um, when I walked through the door, and they said, "Do you think you're an alcoholic?" I said, "Yeah, I am." That's why I'm here, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and luckily, you know, um, I had the right people in my life mm -hmm. to get me to that point, mm -hmm. to keep me alive, so I could get to that point. Mm -hmm. And then I said, "Okay, now I have to. I have to do the work." Mm -hmm. And um, shortly thereafter, I got posted uh, back from the U.S. to Calgary. And um, um, so I was like five months sober um, in Calgary, and I didn't didn't know where meetings were, and I mm -hmm. found out okay there was a gay AA meeting, mm -hmm. uh, front runners, and um, I went there, and um, um, I've been with them ever since. Mm -hmm. Found 
found somebody that had back then long-term sobriety, which was three years. Oh wow! <laughs> because back yeah. then it was, it was a fairly fairly new group. Uh, Why, or, yeah, how long had it been around? Even uh, <clears throat> it was maybe seven years. Okay, because yeah. it uh, Front Runners was formed in 1978. Wow! Um, Can't believe it's been here that long. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And uh, I, I got there in 1985 wow. and uh, found somebody with three years sobriety that I liked and uh, asked him to be my sponsor. And um, we worked together over the years. And, uh, um, you know, I, 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 was, I was fortunate that I had a sponsor that um, got me through the steps in a real meaningful way. Um, but... His his philosophy is much like my mine. Where where I wanted to learn how to live sober. Mm -hmm. I didn't want uh, AA to be my only life. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I wanted to be able to have a, have a life of, mm -hmm. and learn how to live sober. Yeah, that sort of stuff. So I mean, he I was fortunate. He was a good person for that. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, um, so. Um, I mean, he, he passed away a couple of years ago uh, on Valentine's Day, which is, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, ironic because he was one of the biggest romantics. <laughs> so he passed away on Valentine's Day. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Uh, and he had something like uh, 33 years sober mm -hmm. or something like that mm -hmm. when he passed away. Oh. Yeah. And uh, uh, I learned a lot from him. Mm -hmm. I bet. I, I can't imagine what it was like being gay in NAA yeah. back then, yeah. right? Because, I mean, it, uh, and you, you're well aware of it, I'm sure, today, it can be a pretty difficult place if you're different, right? Yeah. Um, in any way, right? In any kind of way. And, yeah. Um, yeah, so kudos to all you guys. And I know in the beginning <clears throat> it was mostly men, right? Yeah. That started that group from what I've heard. Yes, so. yeah. Yeah, and, and that that that's it. You know, I mean, and that that's part of the uh, beauty of um, uh, AA, I think. Uh, and my my part of my program was the evolution of how I thought mm -hmm. as as a gay person, um, and uh, the group dynamics with mm -hmm. gay men. And back then, I mean, when when I when I came into Front Runners, it was 1985, so mm. the height of the AIDS epidemic. I was going to say. Yeah. And so to walk in a meeting, um, and back then we, we would have sort of like 40 or 50 people mm. in the meeting, and so many people, sick, uh, HIV, um, or full-blown AIDS, mm -hmm. and um, just watching them. Um, come in and still share their positivity mm. about life, yeah, um, and about the. Um, I, I guess the gift of sobriety, mm -hmm. you know, and not not knowing if they're going to be there the following week. Mm -hmm. I mean, we went to a lot of funerals. I was going to ask, yeah. You know, um, and I mean, I was still in the military back then, um, and um, uh, by that time I was I, I was a sergeant. Mm -hmm. 
so I mean, I I had had a pretty good, <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty good stint um, uh, in, in the military, um, and um, uh, still illegal to be gay. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, when did it become legal? Actually, it it only became legal in nineteen eighty nine. Okay, so yeah, see, it's not that long ago. No, yeah, it was uh, um, it was. Uh, Homosexuality was legalized by Pierre Elliott Trudeau in mm -hmm. 1969. It was 1989 when the military finally said it was okay to be gay and serve mm -hmm. in the military. I got out in 1988 mm -hmm. uh, after uh, um, almost 12 years in the military. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I, I loved being in the military. Um, and it taught me a lot, mm -hmm. <laughs> a lot of self-discipline. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I really applied that self-discipline to my AA program as well. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I mean, that, that's one, one of the gifts that I think I've, I've really had is because um, I've gone through a lot of different careers. Mm -hmm. You know, starting out actively drinking, surviving that mm -hmm. somehow. And I never thought I'd ever see um, 40 years of age. Mm -hmm. I, I, to the point where <laughs> I was out of the military, and I'm just kind of skipping around here, but uh, you can go wherever you um, um, I was wor working up in Fort St. John. Uh, I was working with A and W Food Services at the time, and um, we were coming down to Calgary for a convention, and uh, uh, we stopped at Edmonton. That was June 25th. That we left Fort St. John. Uh, so I was going to spend mm -hmm. spend the night at my half sister's place, who happens to be a lesbian, and uh, her partner. So went there, and we went. We were going to go to the the, bay, uh, the gay bar in Edmonton because June twenty sixth was my birthday, and mm -hmm. I was going to be forty years old. So I said, "Okay, let's go out and party." Mm -hmm. So not ha all this time believing, like f absolutely believing to my core that I would not see 40. Mm -hmm. I was sober. Now, had I really believed that, I would have gone out and got piss eyed mm -hmm. drunk, say, I'm going to die anyways. Yeah. But I didn't. I just went out and had a good time. Mm -hmm. But I didn't expect to wake up the next morning. Mm -hmm. And I did. I said, Oh, this feels strange. No, I don't, I don't know what, I, I don't know what to expect from this point on mm -hmm. because. Up until that point, for you know, for forty years, I never expected to see that day, mm -hmm. wow. because because I had been drinking and you know mm -hmm. almost killed myself a couple of times, uh, you know, through drinking, driving, and mm -hmm. stuff. Um, so I said, okay, well, I guess this is a bonus day. Mm -hmm. So from that point on, I've been living bonus days. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so um, interesting way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, anyway, so but I, I mean, I've I've been really fortunate that um, uh, I've had uh, a lot of really diverse careers mm -hmm. um, and some really amazing people in my life. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that sobriety was easy. Mm. Yeah, I don't think it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I was. I was at a meeting over the last couple of weeks, and I forget exactly if it was 
two weeks or, mm-hmm. or oh, anyways, within within the last month. And one of the comments <coughs> uh, during the discussion was, um, uh, and it kind of struck me as funny that they said um, old timers have it easy because they're just mm-hmm. used to being sober. The only people who can say that are people who don't have a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, um, no, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. I, I think some old timers pass on that message though. Like where it seems, it <clears throat> might seem like they don't yeah. have to worry, but yeah. I don't know. I am pretty open about it too. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right because a lot of times when, <clears throat> when, because, like, uh, I'll use front runners as a prime example. There's a lot of long-term sobriety there, mm-hmm. and um, when I stop and think about it, in February I'll be celebrating 39 years sobriety, which is also a long-term sobriety. Yeah, yeah. And there is one other person that I know from the original group who doesn't make it to meetings that I, who's got longer sobriety than I. But mm-hmm. I've seen everybody that sits in that room come in. Th- through the doors, mm-hmm. but other people that have long-term sobriety, like 25, 30, mm-hmm. 35 years of sobriety, when it comes time for their birthdays and that sort of mm-hmm. stuff, it almost, um, and and it may sound like I'm judging, I don't mean to mm-hmm. judge, but the message that I hear sometimes is that, you know, um, uh, you know, trying to get them to celebrate their birthdays. Mm-hmm. If it's not a like a thirty or thirty-five, mm-hmm. if it's a thirty-three-year birthday, well, I don't know why I should celebrate. Mm-hmm. Because it sends a message that you made it, mm-hmm. um, and because it's not easy. It's not easy. Whether it's thirty-five yeah. or five, yeah. Yeah, like the first couple of years of sobriety were really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, getting through the steps, I, you know, yeah. it, it took me four years to get to step four mm-hmm. because I wanted to make sure I had a good handle in steps one, two, and three. Yeah. Um, well, it's a slow process. I always right. viewed it, yeah. you know, every, ever since I walked through that door in Norfolk at the rehab center, mm-hmm. that this was my shot. It's mm-hmm. a lifelong program. I, I don't need to rush it. I just need to get it right. Mm-hmm. And that, that was my mentality. And, um, uh, um, uh, so to to take four years to get to step four, mm-hmm. okay, it took me four years. It's what did I do with that? Mm-hmm. you know um, and um, so to me, uh, uh, there's been a period of time where throughout my sobriety that really bad things have happened, mm-hmm. um, whether it was uh, uh, going through uh, a really, really abusive relationship with another another member of the group, mm-hmm. uh, where I had to uh, basically escape mm-hmm. the relationship mm-hmm. um, uh, because I really thought I was going to die. Yeah, uh, it was that abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then all of a sudden getting to the point where. You know, after I escaped and I was going to get go to work one day, and I couldn't I couldn't leave my apartment, mm-hmm. and I had to go to therapy just so I could get out the front door to go mm-hmm. get groceries. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's debilitating, Adam. It is. It is. It is. You know, um, abusive relationships uh, in you know within the program. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, it's not a lot that you hear about that. You know, because 
all of that happened in sobriety. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, and, and I'm, I'm not saying this is the way it is, I'm just saying from what I've seen. Like, it, it can really be, and it's detrimental that people don't just tell the truth about yeah. how things are in there, yeah. because sometimes it is dangerous. It is. And, and that doesn't mean it's always dangerous. Like, I think that's part of the trouble is that we've, we've, gone, we've come a long way where we don't, have to, we don't have to pretend that it's safe all the time, yeah. right? Because there's nothing that's safe all the time. Oh, true. And of course, wherever we go, wherever there's people that are wounded or injured or um, maybe un- unclear on their own trauma, like unclear on how they are, like yeah. that's what we're going to find in those rooms. Yeah. Right? Because, I mean, that's where a lot of wounded people are. Yeah. Me being one of them at one point, very wounded and raw and, and not like um, thoughtful, very selfish, all those different things. Yeah. And in some people's um, lives that's carried out with violence towards others, yeah. right? And controlling others. And, uh, and that is to, to move through that and forward with that yeah. is it's hard. Yeah. It's no wonder you have, you went to talk to someone. It, yeah. I don't believe that kind of stuff can be cleared up on its own. Oh no. Right. No, I believe no. we just have to address it somehow. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, I, I, absolutely. And, and going through that, um, Again, even within the, the room, some people thought, well, you know, you're seeking outside help. Is, mm-hmm. is, should you be doing, should you be taking antidepressants? You know, absolutely, uh, if you need it. Yeah, absolutely, right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. We will go to any length yes. <laughs> to stay sober. That's right. Um, and that's part of any length. But, you know, the one thing, I, I can't, everything that I've gone through has prepared me for the next level mm-hmm. because a couple of years later it was um, when I found out that my uh, one sister had uh, she she gave my uh, sister and I a phone call from a woman shelter because she had to escape her her marriage mm-hmm. uh, 33 years of marriage mm-hmm. and she'd been abused all that time we had no idea so she came to Calgary, she hit out of my place. I could relate to her, yeah. be, coming from an abusive relationship, going through therapy, understanding it, to try to help her say, it's okay for you to be doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, um, God, and she, people yeah. wonder why we would stay that long, right? Oh, yeah. But as you become a prisoner, right? You become exactly. a prisoner of, your, of the victimization, right? Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, I mean, she she eventually had to go back uh, to the coast uh, for you know divorce proceedings and and uh, uh, you know the Thursday before you know they were set to go to court, uh, he went in and murdered her and killed himself. Oh, jeez. And um, Adam, I'm sorry. Thanks. Um, but me having gone through that helped her get a sense of strength so she could start to move forward. <clears throat> but also, it, it, I, th- I think it helped prepare me for the eventuality that had I not gone through that, I could have ended up the same way. Yeah. Or at least now I, I can help my family get through that because there was no time for grieving for me. Everybody just kind of looked up to me to help them get mm-hmm. through that. 
you know, so, um, so going through different things, you know, um, bad things in, in, in um, my life in sobriety, you know, one of the things that I've always, I've always said, you know, it's, I view this as a real selfish program, mm -hmm. and I'm really selfish with my program, mm -hmm. uh, in the sense that if I hear something uh, that you've done to get you through a situation, I'm going to steal it. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah. I'm that selfish. I'm mm -hmm. going to tell you I'm just going to steal this, mm -hmm. because if you got through it, why should I reinvent the wheel? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. Um, and uh, there's a lot of times where um, um, I've gone through highs and lows of depression, and um, um, it wasn't until I hit 30 years sobriety that um, um, through work and stress and anxiety and everything else, uh, I burnt out. And I went through a couple of years of really, really dark, painful, mm -hmm. physically painful and mentally painful uh, periods where, um, again, um, my uh, boss, bosses said, well, can you just, you know, get something for it so mm -hmm. you can come back to work? And we're like, I did that once. Mm -hmm. Because like when I was in the abusive relationship, I was off work and mm -hmm. I was, they wanted me back at work. So I went the mm -hmm. antidepressant route and all that. I said, no, we're going to get to the bottom of this. So mm -hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the time I need. So I, I spent two years on uh, disability, um, therapy, mm -hmm. um, and tried to understand you know, where is my voice? Mm -hmm. You know, because I, I really did lose a sense of self during that period of time. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started up my po my podcast yeah. to say, you know, um, uh, everybody's talking at me mm -hmm. with their problems. But what's my voice? What mm -hmm. I, wa I want, I want to be heard. I, I want to mm -hmm. say what I want to say. Yeah. And I don't care who listens. I don't mm -hmm. care if nobody listens. But if I have a thought on something, I'm just going to write it down and I'm going to say it mm -hmm. and I'm going to put it out there and then I'm done with it. Yeah. And it's a powerful way to process through some of the yeah. just day-to-day -day stuff that accumulates, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, growing up, like I said, I couldn't talk to people. Um, I didn't have a voice. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to talk to people. Um, I had to learn how to socialize. It wasn't until I joined a theater group mm -hmm. that I could say, I, hey, if I'm on stage, I can. somebody else has written the words and told me what emotions mm -hmm. to do. I can just do that. So that's why I learned how to actually start to mm -hmm. speak to people and you know, feel things or communicate how I felt was through theater. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so... Working the program and dealing with my sponsor and going through life's ups and downs and that sort of stuff, you know. Uh, um, and I was thinking, okay, I'm I'm going to be really selfish. And if somebody, uh, if somebody uh, asks my opinion, they must want it, so I'm going to give it mm -hmm. to them. And I mean, 
what I'm going to, again, backtrack just a little bit. I was fortunate enough to go through a couple of careers to land into a career where uh, my job was to coach management and uh, corporate leadership on how to better utilize staff mm -hmm. to improve productivity. Mm -hmm. And that meant being able to have really honest conversations with people in power, mm -hmm. to have them face, you know, come to terms of face to face with what they're doing on the job. Yeah, reality terms. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and, and in, a, in a way that wasn't threatening to them, but mm -hmm. made them really search inside. Mm -hmm. And I was only able to do that because that's how I approached my sobriety. I was really brutally honest with myself to mm -hmm. say, you know, what the fuck are you doing with yourself? Mm -hmm. You know, um, every night I do a step 10, mm -hmm. you know, and maybe too much information, but you know, when I'm doing, you know, getting my, brushing my teeth and all that sort of stuff before I hit the bed, you know, mm -hmm. part of that is on the toilet. Now, so mm -hmm. I, I will spend like 15 minutes on the toilet, not doing anything other than just recapping my day. Mm -hmm. Okay. Was it's this, a thoughtful place. It is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, shit happens there. <laughs> <laughs> All kinds of shit yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah. And, and I can say, you know what, maybe I, I could have done that differently. Maybe I have to, mm. you know, um, or, you know, I don't know that I want to accept what that person said about me. Mm -hmm. Because that's part of my step 10 as well, mm -hmm. is not only taking account for myself, but am I willing to accept what people are tossing on me? Mm -hmm. Because because I've been through that abusive relationship before, mm -hmm. and I'm never going to let somebody have that power over me again. I feel that. Yeah. And so it's, it's difficult, difficult to do on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. But um, um, one, of the, one of the things that I've been fortunate, uh, like I say, I've, I've, I've met a lot of really wonderful people, smart people, mm -hmm. who... Um, are high up in corporate world, and I, I was flown all over the world to coach management. Mm -hmm. You know, I was flown to India for four days mm -hmm. just to have a coaching session with somebody. You know, I've lived a real privileged life in that respect. I've got to travel on somebody else's dime, see a lot of things, got to see a lot of the human condition, mm -hmm. and I've got to see what makes people tick and I've got to sit in a room full of people that said I, I want to live mm -hmm. sober mm -hmm. and I've got to learn from them and those were some of the smartest people yeah. I've, I've known yeah. because they've gone through the knocks and uh, they've really helped me over the years you know I, I've always said that I'm privileged in the sense that um, uh, I got to learn from other people's experiences. Mm -hmm. And when somebody goes out and has a relapse, mm -hmm. I always thank them for that. Mm -hmm. Because they, and you know, God love them, they, they not only had the courage to walk through the door once, mm -hmm. but they had to pick themselves up again mm -hmm. and walk through the door again and say, mm -hmm. you know, I fucked up. This is why I fucked up. Mm -hmm. And I get to learn from that. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to do it. Uh, yeah. And mm -hmm. knock on wood, 
Um, I, I haven't had to. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lord knows there's been enough opportunities where I could have yeah. or maybe should felt like I, I should mm-hmm. because, you know, the thought of drink floats through my mind, you know, maybe once a day. Mm-hmm. I've never lost the desire to have, have a drink. Mm-hmm. And I'm thankful for that because it takes me back when, when I'm really in a low place or in a high place where, you know, that mm-hmm. happy thought, I would love to celebrate with a drink or, you know, I'd like to forget yeah. this with a drink. Um, I'm sitting in, in my car looking at that rehab center front door mm-hmm. 39 years ago going, I have this opportunity to do something with myself. So, no, not, um, so I do a step one every day, mm-hmm. just like I do a step 10 every day. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but uh, the only reason I, why I'm able to do that is because of the people that I've met in the rooms mm-hmm. and through a life to, to learn from, you know, and, um, I mean, I've had a lot of executives, like CEOs, and um, um, come up and say, you know, you have a really interesting perspective on life, mm-hmm. you know, and they think I have this wonderful MBA and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I got kicked out of high school mm-hmm. in grade eleven, mm-hmm. you know, and I've, I've been fortunate enough to, you know. Um, um, teach myself um, IT, mm-hmm. I was in robotics, I've worked with rockets, literal rocket scientists mm-hmm. from, from NASA, who were my bosses, mm-hmm. you know, training robots. Yeah. But, so I've, I've, I've been really fortunate to have been exposed to a lot of really weird cool careers. <laughs> But I've also been really fortunate to be exposed to a lot of really weird and wonderful people, mm-hmm. you know. And I've grown from that. You know, we were talking earlier about you know the youth in in AA today, and I and I sit and I you know when I'm chairing the Saturday meeting and I see all these young people in the rooms, and think about you know when I came out, for somebody to say you're queer was offensive. Mm-hmm to me mm-hmm. because it was an offensive term. Well, that's how it was used. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. To see all the people that embrace their queerness mm-hmm. and for me to get to learn from that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm still a real idiot when it comes to the gay lifestyle. I really am. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I am. So they teach me so much mm-hmm. about how to be open. And again, for is as difficult as it was for me to walk through the doors of a rehab center, to me, that was a safe way to go because I knew I needed the structure. Mm-hmm. Some of these people just walking off the street, mm-hmm. you know, not only from alcohol, but with drugs in today's drugs, mm-hmm. which is even, I can't even fathom them. I, I, don't, I don't know that I'd survive a weekend. Mm-hmm. I yeah. really don't. I so. so for me to get to learn from some of these people. Mm-hmm. Well, and what we've learned also, Adam, yeah. from from some of the younger people is that um, a bottom doesn't always take twenty years. Oh, right? exactly. Like, I yeah. mean, there's 
There's yeah. just no, and I'm so grateful to see young yeah. people coming in the rooms more and more, right? Cause oh, it, exactly. Yeah, it, it's the only way for anything to really continue, yeah. right, is to have young people coming in and, you know, for good or ill, finding a place and being yeah. able to be sober and do move on with their lives, hopefully, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, I, I, absolutely. And, you know, to see, to see the life... Um, in their eyes, mm-hmm. you know, and see see their optimism, and then you know, sometimes they'll come back in and go, you know, I screwed up. Mm-hmm. You know what? It's okay. Mm-hmm. You're here. You know. I think it's one of the most natural things in the world for myself to drink. Yeah. Like, it's so unnatural to not. Yeah. For anyone who just who choose, who picks up again, like that's not the end of the world. I think yeah. it's probably the most likely thing that we'll do is yeah. go back to what we're comfortable with. Exactly. Right? Yes. Even if it's lighting us on fire. Like, that's where it starts to look very insane for people who aren't chemically dependent, right? Is because it's like, why are you doing that? Like, you're literally on fire and you're pouring gas on yourself, yeah. right? Well, we can't stop at a yeah. certain point, right? Um, obviously, when we get a break and we, we, get, an, um, we get some relief right? Then we can start to make choices. But even then, like, at what point in time would I have been capable of making the choice not to drink had I not felt like the obsession was removed right away? Because yeah. that's how it was for me. It just felt like I all of a sudden just didn't want to drink anymore. Yeah. And, and that was like, not because I did it myself. It was the first time I went to a, a meeting. And then all of a sudden I realized I can't drink ever again. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, you know, um, but that doesn't happen for everybody. And so yeah. how do we, how do we, I mean, we just have to stay until, or until it works for us, whatever it is that we're trying to, to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, thank you so much. Yeah. I don't even know what time it is. Darcy, what time is it? I just have this like internal clock though. Oh, it's uh, 2.45. Oh, okay. So we're like an hour and 15? Yeah. Yeah. Right on. I have like an internal clock. Yeah. That usually about an hour starts to. Yeah. 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 Well, I think we're still going. Yeah. Sorry, I was just like distracted there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I did. No, I, I interrupted you. No, I was I was rambling on, um, but uh, no, uh, I I I guess you know the thing that uh, um, I, I I I would say that I've also been very fortunate that I've I've had. A couple of really core people mm-hmm. that have been with me my whole life. Yeah, that you know, through thick or thin, mm-hmm. you know, um, who have known me bef- uh, before I drank, mm-hmm. while I drank, since I've been sober, mm-hmm. and we're, we're still really good friends and that sort of stuff. It's you know, to have there's not many people that <laughs> that are still alive that uh, know me from before. Uh, I started to drink and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, but uh, um, they can certainly appreciate the journey mm-hmm. and and that sort of stuff. So, um, but anyways, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know that there was a whole point to uh, my whole story, but other than the fact that I think <clears throat> um, I'm I'm really. Um, you know, I take I, because I'm retired now, mm-hmm. um, um, 
and uh, uh, been retired just a year. And being retired and not have that daily routine of going to work and all mm -hmm. that, I still set my alarm for 7 o'clock every morning mm -hmm. um, because I want that routine in my life. But not to have a job to go to and that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. Um, um, I found, okay, um, I floundered for a while. Um, to say, okay, so, uh, because in that, my, my mother passed away, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so, you know, that, that was a huge loss, because I was over, over there every day mm -hmm. w w with her. You were taking care of her, right? Part-time, uh, part yes, kind yes. of? Yeah, yeah. so um, she was in an assisted living facility mm -hmm. two blocks away, so I'd be, I'd be over there like three or four hours, you know, mm -hmm. almost every day, and, you know, uh, it was actually really good therapy for me because um, uh, when I was going through therapy for anxiety and mm -hmm. burnout and all that sort of stuff, she was there and she needed help. So I got to help her. And by doing that, I got to help myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, she, you know, I, um, one thing I, I was able to say to her before she passed away is thank you because you know she helped save my life again mm -hmm. you know um but um anyways um it was um you know f floundering a little bit uh, after re after retirement to find that purpose again you know and i understand that's a danger point for some people mm -hmm. you know in the program you know all of a sudden now you're retired you got all this time in your hands what do you do so um so again, it's been a learning experience for me in sobriety to say, okay, what, how do I, you mm -hmm. know, make myself useful? Mm -hmm. You know, don't know that I have the answer to that yet, but you know, <laughs> I don't think you have to figure it out. I don't, I don't have to figure it out. Yeah, but I, I just know I don't have to drink today about it. But um, um, you know, so when I, I, I guess, I guess one one of the things I, I hope you know people will appreciate is that um, just because somebody has long-term sobriety doesn't mean that it's it's easy mm -hmm. quite often there's a lot of stuff happening that they just don't talk about and yeah. and I think sometimes um, everybody wants to focus on the newcomer which is fantastic mm -hmm. yeah it should however if you have a bunch of old-timers there that are Everything always seems to be rosy. Mm -hmm. Go talk to them. Go have a one-on-one -on -one heartfelt cup of coffee with them, mm -hmm. because chances are, it's not quite as rosy as what it seems. Yeah. And because it's difficult sometimes for somebody with long-term sobriety to remember to reach out to mm -hmm. say, "Hey, you know." Yeah. Because people put a lot of pressure on people on folks with long-term. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, and sometimes, do you do you find that that kind of when when there is pressure, maybe you don't feel that pressure so much anymore. But if there, if you are feeling that pressure, would it kind of translate into maybe not sharing the full story, like where you're kind of like not necessarily Pollyanna the story, but you're not as likely maybe to be like, hey, like it's challenging, like yeah. staying sober, whether it's thirty years or ten yeah. or five or one, yeah. is hard. Like. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah, that's that's one thing I've always 
I've always done is um, I'm not afraid to tell the difficult mm. truth yeah. of myself because mm -hmm. <clears throat> I know because others have done that in early sobriety yeah. that it's helped me. Uh, I also want I also want people to know that just because I have 25 or 30 or mm. 35 or you know it's coming up to 39 years. I only got that because it's an honest program. Mm. I have to be honest with myself, but mm. um, I shouldn't have to sugarcoat my sobriety. Yeah, I don't think you do. Um, you know, because people mm. think you've got long-term sobriety. What do you? Everything should be all right. You should have it figured out. Some days you have it figured out, and other days, you know what? It doesn't take a lot nowadays mm. to have it unravel. And um, I'm sure you've seen it over the years yourself where somebody, um, uh, you know, with 20, 25 years goes out and mm -hmm. starts drinking again. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why I try to be as, as yourself is just try to be more whole about yeah. it, right? Like it's not just a bunch of rainbows. Like honestly, yeah. the last couple years in my sobriety have been the hardest I've ever had yeah. like and I, I don't I don't assume it's going to get any easier yeah. what I assume is it's going to be hard yeah. like just like it has been it will be hard yeah. because I like I, I think I said it before but one of the most natural things for me to do is drink yeah. <laughs> so it's really hard sometimes yeah. not not necessarily about the booze now but mo more so about like those behaviors that i know will lead me to the booze like, exactly yes right it's that quick slide yeah. for me if i go if i want to start fucking around and finding out again i don't think it'll be that long yeah. right like and and i don't want we don't need to but but it doesn't mean it's easy right because it doesn't mean that um at any point in time that especially once you do put in some time right once you do put in time sober I think that's what folks can't learn until they get it, yeah. is that what you go through in a 10, 20, 30, 40 year period of sobriety is you lose people, mm -hmm. you lose jobs, yeah. you lose friends, yeah. you lose loved ones, right? And, and we keep losing people and it doesn't stop, right? Yeah. And in, in sobriety, it doesn't seem to stop because we're so aware, because we're now conscious of all these people now dropping, right? And like with the opiate crisis, much like I can't even imagine. I, I, I remember when I was young, because I was a young queer, queer boy, and I had heard all these people. My mom and dad never, never said it to me as far as I can tell or as far as I can remember, but I've heard it in the church that I was going to hell and all yeah. those things, right? And, of course, in the 80s was the AIDS crisis, yes. and I grew up in California. And so mm. um, it was like, it was so strange um, because we only had one gay, gay kid come out in my high school and he took his life afterwards. Yeah. Like it was one of those things where he came out, things were obviously rocky, right? Because at that time it was rocky. They were trying to tell us that gay men were pedophiles. They yeah. were trying to paint this whole picture so that everybody would, would keep doing conversion therapy or whatever else yeah. it was they were into. And I know in the States conversion therapy was just it still goes on yes and it's yeah. abysmal um but growing up in that time and then getting older and seeing like yourself all these men that survived and 
um, survived this time where not only were people dying, right, like, but being villainized, right? Yeah. Like, it was to add insult to injury, right? And it was constant. And so um, I'm grateful for, for yourself and for all of the, all of the gay men, right, and gay women that yeah. survived to make it okay for, as you said, for some of us younger folks yeah. who are queer to kind of embrace our queerness, yeah. right? And that we may not have the same understanding as, as, as yourself or other uh, older men, right? Yeah. But because of you, we are able to be here, yeah. right? And we are able to wear nail polish, yeah. right? Like in regular meetings and I'm okay now, but I don't think that's disconnected from you. That's my point, is yes. not. Yeah. It's connected to yourself, to some of the other gentlemen that I know in the program yeah. and outside of the program yeah. that, were, that make it possible for this, right? For us to sit here and have this conversation, yeah. um, knowing that it's, it's okay. Like it was never not okay, but they really wanted us to think it wasn't okay, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and it's becoming more okay. Obviously, like nowadays, like there's the trans violence and stuff that, uh, yeah, it's, and it's picking up just anti-queer rhetoric and, you know, know. Um, but I don't think they're going to get that word back. I think we're okay with it. Yeah. They, yeah. they done fucked up. They gave it to us. <laughs> now, now we're queer and yeah. you're not going to get rid of yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and, and it's, uh, uh, over, over time, um, I think it's because I've, I've learned from the younger people mm -hmm. who really use the, the term queer mm -hmm. in a positive sense mm -hmm. that it shouldn't, shouldn't be a traumatic trigger for me mm. uh, to hear that, you know, because when, when I'm seeing um, uh, somebody that's uh, trans and what, oh my God, how brave are you? I mean, mm. oh my God, I can't even imagine, mm -hmm. you know, um, and for them to be so open mm -hmm. and so courageous um, every day mm -hmm. and still try to get sober on top of it. I know. Fuck me. I, <laughs> I know exactly. My, my problems today are mm -hmm. nothing mm -hmm. compared to what that individual mm -hmm. might go through yeah. might go through because of a decision that they made to just be themselves mm -hmm. i think it's beautiful it's amazing. and i think oh my god mm -hmm. you know um i'm really i'm so happy that i've been able to see you know the change from when i came out mm -hmm. in 1979 wow, to now <laughs> yeah uh it's huge difference, but like you said earlier, still there's that backslide mm -hmm. that if if we if we're not willing to fight yeah. for who we are, mm -hmm. we're gonna lose it. Yeah. Just the same way, with the same rigor and openness and honesty as we are about fighting for our sobriety mm -hmm. every day, yeah. we're gonna lose it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, you talked about it's all, not all rainbows. People forget there's a lot of storm happening before yeah. you see a rainbow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
and you know the gift at the end of that storm is the rainbow I think of that every time I see the symbol for for us right yeah. the rainbow symbol yeah. is that's all I think about is that's what we get when we're through yeah. the storm right and yeah. that storm of like um, maybe it's different for everybody but for me it was just that storm of self right that war with self yeah. of like I can't conceive of it therefore it's just not true yeah. right which is obviously absurd because yeah. <laughs> yeah. what we are we are right and, yes, and yes. now I know that but when I was younger I didn't know that I yeah. was like no there's something I can do about this yeah. and I've heard from everyone around me that I need to do something about this thing right I don't want to but I'm going to because it'll keep me safer. Yeah. Right. And yeah. unfortunately, that for me, that was a prison for a yeah. long, long time. Yeah. Right. Without being able to just kind of accept my queerness. Yeah. Right. And it's kind of like I grew up in this in the time where queer was bad. Right. Obviously. Yeah. And it was even used in terms of like when people thought you were dumb, yeah. when people thought you didn't know stuff, or you did something different. It was yeah. like, oh, that's queer. Yeah. No wonder we we're no wonder there's trauma there, right? Yes, because yeah. it, like, I can't hear the F word, the F-A-G-G-O-T, yeah. I can't hear it. Like yeah. it, ugh, it just makes me sick, yeah. right? Um, because it just takes me back to when I was young, hearing that word yeah. all the time, because I never heard it associated in a positive way. Yeah. It was always negative, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, well, when, when, I was growing, when I was growing up and hearing it, and it was people were saying it to me, after, especially after I, you know, it came out, I just said, oh, well, thank you. Be, because the other definition of faggot is a hard worker. Mm. Interesting. I, I am. And I am. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, but again, I, I, I had to do that mental flip. To cope, yeah. right? Yeah. Like how, how else would, would exactly. you have coped with it? Exactly, yeah. You know, you know, and, and, you know and I'm hopeful that things continue to to evolve in a positive way. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of hard to fathom that, you know, given the events of the world, you know, mm -hmm. and all that sort of stuff, you know, and, and I think, okay, you know, where I'm at in my life and all that sort of stuff, you know, maybe have like 15 good years left. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I hope I can continue to have that openness mm -hmm. and willingness to learn from people that are, coming into the rooms mm -hmm. and coming into my life yeah. um, uh, that have, you know, um, a different experience to share mm -hmm. and that are brave, brave enough to share it with me yeah. or with us, mm -hmm. you know, uh, because uh, sometimes even in today's, for as open as we can be sometimes, it's still scary, you know. Yeah. Um, um, because we never know who's not as open. That's right. Right. That's right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, go try to be open in a Chick Fil A. <laughs> Where does that get you? Yeah, exactly. Right. Whereas now we've we've started like people like us, other uh, two spirit LGBTQ. Yeah. We've started to create our own spaces, right, yes. so that we can feel safe. Yeah. And like what that's where you and I met was at one of these safe places that yes. we've created for. And I've, I got to tell you, since I've been in the program or been a part of it, went to different meetings and stuff, um, that's the safest I've ever felt, Yeah, honestly. I've been to Front Runners a few times, but not like in years. It's yeah. been a few years. Um, 
but it was just one of those things. It probably feels safer too because I'm more openly out now, right? right? Whereas when I was going to front runners, I was openly bisexual, but it was only to a few people, right? right? And I wasn't visibly queer. Yes. Um, that was something I really took um, painstaking efforts to hide, right? right. Um, partially because of being raised in the church and hearing it all the time that I yeah. was going to hell. Um, but also partly because of like socialization too, like at school and yeah. peers and, you know, it, it didn't, I didn't know this at the time, but like, you know, playing football in high school and doing those kinds of things. Um, obviously I just like football and I, those kinds of things were natural to me, but then there was that other side of me that was also attracted to boys. Right. Um, and I couldn't do anything about it because I knew like I said, one person came out in our school that I knew of and they took their life yeah. and I had no exposure to it except for the church perspective, Yeah, really. And the church perspective is fucking broken, yeah. right? Yeah. In terms of lots of things, this being one of them, yeah. right? It, it's just a broken perspective that splintered us. And um, I'm grateful though, for on the one hand, because we were all able to come together and find each other, right? Yeah. Um, what they didn't think about was that we were going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that we you kick us out of your spaces but we're going to find each other anyway that's right that's right and anybody that uh well i mean i don't know much about football other than i think it is a gay sport because you have all those tight ends oh. there um <laughs> and know, there are some tight ends there are some tight ends <laughs> you know uh i watch a lot of netflix documentaries on football yeah. just because tight pants tight pants yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of cute. <laughs> I, I, I know, and I've, I've had like friends of mine, yeah. like mostly female friends, yeah. to be honest, through the years, say the same thing. Yeah. Right? And I'm like, I know, but you have to. I can't say nothing. Yeah. And yeah. then you know, because when you're playing ball, you definitely don't want to come across as oh, being no. interested, right? And yeah. Yeah. it's to the point where even a few years ago, I was in the gym and I was listening to a guy. He played for one of the teams. I don't know if he played for the Stamps or or wherever he played, but he was a big guy, obviously played ball. And uh, to hear him talk about, remember there was, uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, but there was a guy who came out of university in the States and he was openly gay yeah. and he was drafted to the Rams, yes. right? Yes. Uh, Sam something. Yeah. But Just brave. About three, three years ago or something. Yes, yeah. yeah, brave as shit, right? Yeah. Like so brave because no one <laughs> had ever done it. Yeah. Well, this guy was ranting about this, right? Because he's like, oh, can't have queers and and it's like dude i i said do you have any idea how many queer people there will be playing football like they just will not tell you yeah. because of this right like and to, for that person to think that there's just none it, it's so wild to me right yeah. that we know because like what is it there's like 20 percent of people have not not that 20 percent of people are queer but there's 20 percent of people that may go through identity stuff yeah when it comes to that, right? Yeah. But, but I mean, I think that's just part of <clears throat> the experimentation of mm -hmm. youth. Yes, you know. yeah. You know, I, I don't know of any man who at some point when they were growing up didn't say, oh yeah, his is bigger than mine, mm. or I'm yeah. bigger than, mm -hmm. even if that's all it was. Yeah. There's some sort there's, of comparison. There's some, yeah. something there. Yeah. And that to me is absolutely natural. Mm -hmm. you know? And Isn't it perfectly natural? There's lots of 
cultures where it's like perfectly acceptable for children to like experiment. Like yeah. it's not um, obviously when it becomes adults and children, we're not talking about. No, that. no. So we're not talking like pedophilia. Uh, no. If, well, what we're what we're getting at though, like, and this is like something that I talk to people about all the time because, like, in the program we. We have fifth steps. We yeah. go through this, yeah. and I'll I'll be honest with you. It's a high percentage of men that feel like they've done something wrong, yeah. when it was within their core, within their group, their age group, yeah. and and I I can't tell you how enough that that's not like a problem. This yeah. is like there's many books written about this stuff yes. that kids will do this right, and like we're so protective, but then we're not protective. Right, so we're protective, but we still have the Catholic Church in this country. Yeah, how protective are we? Yeah. Right, and I, I don't want—I know I don't no. want to bring that into it. I don't—I don't know if that's no, no. You're, but you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Uh, pe people have their own um, uh, agenda of what's acceptable, mm -hmm. um, and it's acceptable as long as it's within their yeah their, uh, definition of that. Uh, but if it's anything outside of that, then you're going to hell. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, yeah, and of course, I don't know what the ages are. I just know that children explore. That's what I know. Right? Exactly. And exactly. that if you're, like, this is not something we need to, like, heap on kids, right? Like, yeah. keep heaping on more shit to them as they grow older yeah. instead of just telling them the truth and saying, hey, like, instead of saying don't drink, what if I explain to you the possibilities of drinking? What could happen? Yeah. You could make your decisions for yourself because yeah. you will anyway, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Well, you know, I, I know for my <clears throat> for myself, um, uh, just just like my nieces and nephews and that sort mm -hmm. of stuff. I mean, they all know I'm gay. They all know mm -hmm. I'm an alcoholic. You know, they they all know mm -hmm. Saturday nights where I'm going to be. Yep. Uh, now Thursday nights where where I'm going to be. Yep. Um, Different kind of schedule. It it is. I I don't make any secret of it mm -hmm. to anybody. Uh, even when I was uh, traveling, you know, uh, working and that sort of stuff, because you know, uh, business, you know, people want to go out and have drinks and dinner, and that's sort of, that's great. Let's go, let's go. Uh, what are you gonna have? I'm gonna have a tonic water, thank mm -hmm. you. Oh, you're not gonna have? No, I don't drink. Mm -hmm. Oh, why don't you drink? Because I'm a drunk, mm -hmm. and that's usually it. That's it. <laughs> <clears throat> And I've never gotten past that, by the way, when someone asks, yeah. why don't you drink? I'm like, ah, oh, you don't want me to drink. Yeah. 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 And then they go, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, so I'm always open to it, but, but uh, because I don't make a big deal out of it, mm -hmm. you know, the younger people know that, and I've had some younger people come up and say, you know, um, I know somebody who, or, you know, I mm -hmm. think I'm going through this. Yeah. Because they're, I'm open with it. They feel... Mm -hmm okay to be open about it as well so you know the uh, the program is about uh, attraction rather than promotion mm -hmm. you just living your life the way you are open and honest and me living my life the way i am open and honest mm -hmm. you know um, um with anybody that i happen to be in contact with you know people will say hey you know i remember i met this person and they got through it so maybe i can go through it as well or I can contact them to see how we can get through it. Mm -hmm. We have no idea the effect we have on people. It's true. But the only reason why we get to do that is because we're, 
we're brave enough to be open and honest with ourselves first mm -hmm. and foremost and with others. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about? I think that's a perfect way to end it. Right I, there. I did too. And yeah. I was going to say thank you so much yeah. for coming on.